The following is presented by Lanier Technical College, Concept One Pulley Systems, and Year One Classic Muscle Car Restoration Parts. Hit it! Hang on, you're now part of the fastest podcast on the planet, Bud's Garage Overdrive. Produced in the studios of Jacobs Media, located in beautiful downtown Gainesville, Georgia. On this week's show, Rolls-Royce is having a sale. The Michelin Tweel is on the highways. Cold weather car tips. And which is better for your next truck, gas or diesel? Plus, part one of our interview with Motor Trend's Sam Madavi from Sam's Garage. All that and a whole bunch more informative automotive buffoonery with Bud and Tim. Let's kick it in overdrive. Welcome in, folks. This is Bud Hughes, resident car nut, and Tim DePasquale, upholster to the stars. Tim, how are you doing today? I'm good, Bud. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. You know, <laughs> earlier in the week, I get a Facebook post from our buddy James Lattaway. Mm-hmm. James is the owner of Northeast Georgia Paint and Body. Oh, yeah. And he, you know, if you've got a collision problem, you need to give him a call because sure. he'll fix your car. But he's got an amazing, amazing display and collection of pedal cars. Yes, he does. And it's worth the trip to see the pedal cars. But if a deer runs out in front of you, you know, go yeah. see him about that, too. <laughs> but he sends me this Facebook post, and it's a guy bragging about his new car that he got. Mm. And all the, all the buttons and gizmos and windows. Pay attention here, Bill, so you don't get hurt. And he says, I understand, I kind of understand the technology of this car. But he says, the one button that really scares me, and I'm afraid to press it, is the rear wiper. <laughs> so... Yeah, I'm just saying, watch that rear wiper. Oh, my. That rear wiper button. It'll come to you. It'll come to you, It'll come to you. Rear. Oh, yeah, okay. It's just another bad bud joke. (laughs) Name a good one. (laughs) For our censors, that's B-U-D. Thank you. Uh, Rolls-Royce is having a clearance event, and the only guy I know in the room here that could could buy a Rolls-Royce would be Tim. Uh, But you can get 4% off on it. That's $15,000 on a $400,000 car. Yeah. That's, so I did a little bit of a deeper dive into that. Oh, okay. Um, they lose about, I, I looked for the uh, resale price of a five-year-old Rolls Royce. They lose about a quarter of their initial purchase price wow. in that five-year period. Wow. So, and, and by the time they're 10 years old, they've lost about three-quarters. Man. But the the issue would be, you know, they're so limited at the point of being 10 years old. I don't think even the dealers want to work on them anymore because parts are difficult yep. to get. The technology. But now if you look at the value of a 1960 Rolls-Royce Silver Cloud, they're going upwards of 100000 bucks. That's a now. beautiful guy. I rode uh, one uh, years and years ago when, when Jan and I had graduated high school. Uh, we went to... Uh, Scotland and England with my parents, and we were dating and all that. But you know, we got one of our one of my distant cousins. <laughs> believe me, way distant cousin uh, had a, a silver ghost or silver whatever. Silver but that, cloud. But that was that was a classic. That was you, a, that was a sculpture. That was a different car. That was a different car. Yeah, yeah. the new ones are right. a little bit different than that. But what what do you suppose the uh, the, the payment is on that monthly? Oh, geez, I don't know. With the late fee? Yeah, I'll we'll, we'll have, we'll have to figure that out. We'll have to that out. What do you think of this, Tim? I'm, 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 I'm kind of uh, on both sides of the fence here. We talked about these a couple of years ago, and I know they've right. shown up on farm equipment. Do you mm. have them on your tractor or no? No, 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 no. No, okay. no but I have seen them on, like, uh, zero-turn mowers. Well, zero-turn mowers, you can buy them at the tractor stores and stuff like that, but it's Michelin's airless tires. Mm-hmm. And my biggest question about it, they're, they're starting to run them on the highways in, in some uh, parts of Europe, testing them. And what they're using them mostly for is fleets or for equipment like buses yeah. that run a particular route every day. And, and you know, it's it's something you maintain every night and mm-hmm. and whatever. But I don't know how these different. They've got a different composition to them. It's made from glass-reinforced fiber plastic. And... I'm not sure. I'm not sure about the high speed thing. Yeah. And I'm not sure how this stuff wears and dries out and rots any differently than any other tire. Well, and and I wonder what happens when you uh, hit a deep pothole yeah. or curb it. Right. You know. So in other words, in between the rim and the tread, there's uh, this plastic grid 
that takes the place of the air. Right. That makes the tire flexible, so they've got to... But the tire and the wheel are one piece. Well, So here's a problem. But now they say that this was mounted on an aluminum rim, so does that mean when you you replace it, it comes as a complete unit with a rim, or is there a way to change them? Well, right now, I think it's it's a complete, it's unit, a complete unit, but I'm not sure that they you won't You know, all to... I can think of my cheap self is, that sounds expensive. <laughs> but if, you, if, you're, if you're running in, if you're the maintenance guy at a fleet of buses or something like that, and you have these in stock, you just take it and toss another one on. There's no having to have a tire machine or any of that kind of stuff. You well, have you ever, them. have you watched these guys now on buses oh, and yeah. big trucks? They yeah. don't even, they don't even take the rim off the truck. Yeah. Take the tire off, put the new tire on. Without, I don't see the advantage yet, so let's just see how it works out, I guess. Yeah, but it's on the highways. Yeah, now. it's on so the highway. There you go. One of the great partners that we have on Bud's Garage Overdrive is Concept One Pulley Systems. Now, what the heck is a pulley system, you're asking me? A pulley system is something you buy for your car if you're building it from scratch or you're trying to restore something or you're trying to update something. We're talking about the pulleys on the front of the engines. And there's our engineered... To the nth degree, the, all the hardware is supplied. Of course, the pulleys themselves are billet. You can get them in different finishes. You can get them machined. You can get them polished. You can get them black. You can get them clear anodized. But it's all billet. It's all beautiful, and it all fits the way it's supposed to fit. Check them out at Concept One Pulley Systems, C1. Uh, they've got their phone number online. You can give them a call because... When you call them, you're talking to the people that build the systems. They're not, they're not putting a bunch of stuff together and just putting it in a box. They, they have put this stuff on engines in their shop. They've got up-to-date compressors, air compressors for your uh, air conditioning systems, up-to-date power steering pumps, up-to-date alternators. It's all good stuff, and they can help you make it fit your particular Chevrolet or Ford engine. Now, some exciting news is they're going to be branching out a little bit to some of the newer stuff, and we'll tell you about that in some further episodes. But check them out. Concept One Pulley Systems, you put them on, they fit, they work, and they're gorgeous and reasonably priced. So check them out, c1pulleysystems.com. All right, next up we have DJ Bill. DJ Bill, tell us about the DJ part, and then tell us about the story you sent me earlier in the week. <laughs> well, thanks, bud. Uh, DJTrivia.com, log on to there. I am the uh, game coordinator and producer. Also, I host in the North Georgia area. It's family-friendly trivia for all general knowledge. Come on out and play. It's free to play. Uh, top teams win prizes for their local establishment, so we hope to see you out at DJTrivia.com this week. Desperate Tesla owners in and around Chicago were seen trying to charge their vehicles with no luck amid frigid temperatures that have gripped the Midwest. Charging stations have essentially turned into car graveyards in recent days. Nothing, no juice, still on 0%. Tyler Beard, who had been trying to recharge his Tesla at an Oak Brook, Illinois Tesla supercharging station since Sunday afternoon, told Fox News. And this is like three hours being out here after being out here three hours yesterday. Beard and several other Tesla owners are trying to charge their cars amid long lines and abandoned cars at other Tesla charging stations in the Chicago area. This is crazy. It's a disaster. Seriously, said Tesla owner Shalise Mazel. Mazel said she abandoned her car and got a ride from a friend after hers would not charge. We've got a bunch of dead robots out here, one man said. Kevin Sumrak told the Fox station that he landed Sunday night at O'Hare International Airport and found his Tesla dead and unable to start. He was forced to hire a flatbed tow truck to haul the vehicle to a working charging station. One expert told the news outlet that cold weather can impact the ability of electric vehicles to charge properly. It's not plug and go. You must precondition the battery, meaning that you have to get the battery up to the optimal temperature to accept the fast charge. Tesla has not been able to be reached by Fox News <laughs> for comment. Huh. Can Captain Obvious, ch- <laughs> you know, chime in here? Yes. Okay. How long have we had batteries in our cars, Tim? Yeah, ever since. Yeah, and when do they usually lay down in? In on the you? cold weather. In the cold mm-hmm. weather, because we've talked about this. If a battery, you know, is below a certain temperature, like mm-hmm. zero, right. uh, it doesn't do so well. No. Even if it's a brand new one, you can run the thing down pretty quick. Plus, all the stuff we got in our cars, like the rear wiper 
uh, that I referred to earlier. It's all electric, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything, even when the car is shut off, there's parts of it that they're running. Right. Yeah, have you ever listened to your, your little hybrid when it's shut? Well, maybe not yours. But a plug-in hybrid, I'll mm-hmm. walk by mine during the day, and it'll be, you know, doing things. Oh, mine's always clicking. And oh, all right. Yours is always yeah, clicking and doing things. it makes noise. Every time I walk past it, I think it's because I've got the key in my pocket. It's like, hey, are we ready to go for a ride? ready to go for a ride. <laughs> no, no. It's, take, leave the cig- cigar on the ground. No, it's not doing that. So we talk a lot about how we don't have the infrastructure for all electric vehicles. Does part of that infrastructure, is it going to have to include heated Airport car garages? Well, I don't know. You, you got to keep the battery up to temp because it yeah. won't accept a chart. You, have you ever tried to jump a frozen battery? No. Don't. No. I blew one up at 3 o'clock in the morning one night, and I was wow. going to. I, I worked at a gas station that had a, a snow plowing service when mm-hmm. I lived up north, obviously. And uh, the old Jeep didn't want to start, and it was pitch black out there, and I'm monkeying around, and I, I, hit, the, uh, I hit the battery with the jumpers, and I... I was left with the top of the battery and the jumpers and a lot of battery acid all over the place. Oh, my. So I see Wally that. Coyote with an Acme package. That's, that's basically it. You know. All right. So let me mention some things that you shouldn't leave in your Tesla or any other cold okay. car. Okay. Some of this does seem like it was written by Captain Obvious, but uh, I'm, I'm just going put it, to put it out here. And then I'm going to mention at the end of this that I'm, I have a surprise at the end. Okay. Liquids. Water, beer, soda, wine, freezing temps make them make the containers freeze and crack. Mm-hmm. Then when they thaw out, it messes yeah, up your interior. Mm-hmm. You've probably seen that, especially yeah. oh, with sodas yeah. and stuff. Right. I didn't know beer and wine would freeze. They have alcohol in them, but they will freeze. Well, they, At the kind of temps that we're talking about. Yeah, here. right. Yeah. Uh, mobile phones or tablets, uh, obviously, if they mm-hmm. get cold, they don't work. Right. Plus, a lot of times it can break the glass and some of the components on them if you leave them in the car. Mm-hmm. Now... Obviously, we're not in Chicago. I wonder if the upholsters and stuff in those kind of climates see a lot of busted uh, skylights in uh, cars, would you think? Are they more prone to breaking in the cold weather? It's sunroofs, yeah. <laughs> if you see the way they break in Georgia, you know. You would think so, yeah. You, I mean, I don't know. They break like crazy for no apparent reason. But here's what we do see is in extremely cold weather, Leather and vinyl will crack when you put your butt on them and mm. put the weight of your body on them. Yeah. 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 So. Uh, Bill, do not leave your makeup in the car. Cosmetics freeze, <laughs> and they break also. I'll, I'll be right back. Uh, <laughs> aerosols. I didn't, I, you know, I didn't think aerosols were a problem in the cold, but uh, the cans will shrink up, and they'll do the same thing as, mm-hmm. as if they, you know, are in the heat. Right. No, you have some of that spray-on no suntan lotion from your summer mm-hmm. trip. You better get it out of there. Yeah, I didn't thought about that. Eyeglasses. I uh, never heard of. I, you know what? I keep well, my sunglasses out there all the time, though. Yeah. Right. Well, I don't know. I, I guess when it's 15 below, they it can crack them. You know, I have mine in a, oh. in a Bud's Garage little eyeglass holder. So, well, Rupert's got his own little glass. Oh yes, you know. yeah, he's got a special yeah. place. Cans of paint. I guess mm. this would apply to contractors or something. Right. You know, if you've got buckets of paint and stuff in your car, and it's one of those things, you know, you, you go to the store and you pick up the paint, and you're going to go to somebody's house the next day and do some painting or whatever, mm-hmm. and it ruins paint. Yeah. You know, especially your latex paint, water-based stuff. Right. So keep that in mind. Or when I was in I would the, think uh, like a compound, you know, drywall compound and stuff. Mm-hmm. That would just be miserable. Oh, leaving your tr- oh yeah. Can you imagine? It's miserable when it's not frozen. Yeah. But uh, I guess it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, pets or people? Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, hypothermia, or boy, did I do a bad t- job of uh, spelling carbon monoxide poisoning. Uh, <laughs> but either or, you know, it's not it's not good to leave Fido in the car no. and have the engine running uh, mm. because of the carbon monoxide, and certainly not the kids or grandma. Right. So, you know, give, think of all those considerations, if you would. Now, you know what occurred to me as, I'm, as I was typing all this up? Um, this list looks identical to things to not do in the hot weather. Oh, yeah. You know, same stuff. Same stuff. Different end mm-hmm. of the spectrum. Right. Extremes so, of temperature. Yeah, extremes of temperature. All right. So if you're driving in the snow and you're stuck in your car driving in a winter storm, which, thank goodness, we haven't had any here yet, uh, here's eight things that somebody in a cubicle thinks that it's important to do in a winter storm while you're driving. Okay. All right. <clears throat> What would you think is number one, Bill? 
Beautiful. Find the nearest Motel 6. <laughs> oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> no, keep the light on for you. Uh, it, it's, you need to keep gas in your car in cold mm-hmm. weather. It, it, it stops condensation from, you know, freezing. The condensation freezes and the fuel doesn't flow and you got issues. Bigger, right. bigger problem if you got a diesel. You're saying in your tank. You're not saying store gasoline in the back of your car. No, 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 car. in your tank. I'm yes. sorry. Yeah, thank yes. you. Yeah. Wow. Can't be too specific. No. If Walt Brinker would have been on the phone with you in a minute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you're stopped or stuck, make sure your car is somewhere safe and visible. And it also says to stay in your car. You know, you start wandering away from the car and you can get disoriented, um, especially in a whiteout or something like that. It says to keep, now we told you not to keep some things in your vehicle like water and that. But if you're traveling and you got a bottle of water in your car, that's probably a good idea and maybe a granola bar or two. Yeah. Because we're we're talking about something we don't see much in this part of the country. What if you're traveling somewhere else where it's cold? Like Buffalo. Yeah, like Buffalo. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that that weather up there was nuts for the last couple, uh, right. couple of days earlier in the week. If you're stopped for a long period of time, just run your car for about 10 minutes or so. All right, and then shut it off. Mm-hmm. And make sure that the tailpipe is not buried in a snowdrift or something, especially right. if you run off the road, so the carbon monoxide isn't coming in the car. And... uh Keep a portable battery in your car to charge your phone and other devices. How about blankets? Blankets. Yeah, before you get out on the road, you know, I, I, think of, I think of women that are all dressed up with their high heels and stuff, and they're going to work, and it snows. On. Man, you've got to have boots in the car. You've got to mm-hmm. have stuff to keep you warm and blankets and things, right. because storms, especially when you live up north around the lake, yeah. the lake effect storms will come in like a lake that comes in across the, you know, across Lake Lanier, Right. Not a lake, a rainstorm or something just pops up all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Same stuff can happen in a car. So be safe and, uh, you know, pay attention to the people who have been through this stuff. And if you don't have to go out, don't go don't out. Don't go out. That's right. the, man, that would be the main thing. Uh, oh, this will be good mm-hmm. since you have both. Yes. Which is better, gas or, eat, or diesel? You know, it depends. But I, I, it depends on what you're going to do with it. But I have worried over this for several months now just thinking about the possibilities of a new pickup truck that i can't possibly afford but if i was to well, but you, you still have edgar right i still have edgar's edgar. have a diesel edgar has a diesel engine edgar now. has a diesel explain engine. why it's got a diesel and not a gasoline engine well it's got more torque for towing mm-hmm. it works at a lower rpm it doesn't have an ignition system for all of that to go bad but the downside is Oil and filter changes are more expensive. Why? Well, because holds it holds oil. a lot more yeah. oil. <laughs> like like a 20 now, quarts in some cases. I do have 330,000 miles yeah. on this 20-year-old excursion. Yeah. And, but I have had to spend some money on repairs. And the difference now, but is it's not that the diesel engines are bad. It's that the emissions have taken them in a whole different direction. As far as maintenance and upkeep and the addition of the DEF fluid. And if you don't actually need a diesel, uh, if I was going to spec a new truck, it would be an F-250 with a 7.3 gas engine. Right. right. So, mm-hmm. because it's just easier. Yeah, the 7.3 is the Godzilla engine. Right. That's the uh, pushrod engine. Right. And they also make the 6.8. Yep, yep, yep. But... Either either one of those. It's just simpler. It's easier. Gas is cheaper. You you don't have the maintenance issues. You know, I also have a 20-year-old E250 Ford van with a 5.4 gas engine. That's a V10, right? No, it's no. a it's a V8. Oh, 5.4. Okay. And it's yeah. got uh, 230,000 miles on it, so 100,000 miles left. I've had to spend some money on it, too, but not as much. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. It's just... Everybody likes that diesel, though. Well, and you know, Aaron talks about if you're going to do serious towing, if you're towing round bales and horse trailers, oh and sure, yeah, all that, 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 yeah, that, that stuff isn't meant for a half-ton pickup truck. It right. just isn't. You're 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 going to ruin your truck prematurely, mm-hmm. and you're going to you know put yourself and and other people in danger. Yeah, so you you can't get by with some of the small stuff. And when I when I think of a diesel, I'm thinking. You know, in the case of a Ford, 2500 or bigger. Mm-hmm. And if I'm going there, I'm getting a 3500 Really? Especially with the diesel in it. 
Mm-hmm. Well, but the frame is bigger, the rear end's bigger. Well, you know, the, 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 there's, everything is bigger. That's true. And the reason I say that I would prefer a, a three-quarter ton is because it would ride a little bit softer when it's empty, you know, as opposed to uh, one ton and F-350. And F- F-250, you're getting the better, bigger brakes and better suspension. But I don't, I, you know, most of the time in, in Edgar, I'm, it's just me by myself driving myself somewhere i'm not generally doing any heavy hauling or putting a bunch of people in there i'm trying to get away from the kids <laughs> <laughs> well it's i i think it's uh i think you, you know it's they're trying to give us some tips here on how to choose the right engine uh, i just think that if it's if it's heavy and you're doing heavy things with it remember that the cost is more expensive to maintain mm-hmm Remember, the cost is more up front, but consider the benefits and how long you're going to have the truck. Exactly. Because I think as as time goes on here, we are going to start designing vehicles where we have to. We have to design vehicles where in four or five years down the line, you've got a module you can pop out of the dash, put the latest technology back mm-hmm. in the dash, and still have a perfectly fine vehicle. Now, right. it may cost you a couple grand but compared to, you know, retooling and building a new vehicle just for the sake of building new vehicles, no. Well, and there's there's some new internal combustion technology that might have a chance to come along once we see that the EVs are definitely not going to work that we've reported on with the uh, hydrogen-fueled uh, internal combustion engines. Are you talking about a third option? Uh, right. Ah, if you have a gas or diesel service truck. All right. Mm-hmm. Or a tractor trailer. Edison Electric Hybrid. We talked about them last right. week. Right. They, they, can, they can actually find you a one-ton truck, dually, whatever. Mm-hmm. Or you can provide your own. And they will train you how to convert it to a hybrid. Right. Just like they do with their big diesels. Mm-hmm. And you can actually work with them, and they will certify you to do installs on other people's trucks. See? They're thinking... Forward thinking here. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's no different than the tractor trailers that they convert, like the Fitzgerald, uh, what do they call them, Fitzgerald gliders? Yeah, the glider kits. That, that circumvented all the blue def and all that kind of stuff. It got outlawed here. Or right, they the got outlawed. Clo- and and now there's, uh, there's a lot of negative press about the uh, way that they rebuilt But those. a lot of these trucks, I was talking to the guys at Edison last week, a lot of these trucks that they reclaim for people mm-hmm. are trucks... That should have been diesel to begin with, probably, that had a gas engine in them. Okay. Like a big block or something right. like that. Get rid of it and do a conversion if you got a good truck or a fleet of trucks. Sure. And it's a third option. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, I, okay. I thought that I like would that be idea. worth mentioning anyway. Tim, with all of the wildfires and stuff we've seen in uh, in Hawaii and, and things around the country, really, disasters we've seen in the, the past few months. Right. Who are the folks that you see at the scene helping these people out, and where do they get their training? Right. You see firefighters there. Mm-hmm. You see EMTs there. You see management personnel that can coordinate, you know, the stuff that's coming in to help the people get it to the right places, things like that. You know where people can learn those things? Tell me. Lanier Technical College. They wow. have fire science technology. Now, obviously, fire science technology deals with firefighting. You can get a basic fire company officer certificate, a firefighter firefighter one certificate or a firefighter two certificate, and then you can get into emergency uh, management technology, and that's the people that figure out you know how supplies get doled out to people, and uh, you know coordinate that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and the EMTs that help rescue people and take care of the medical side of uh, you know. A situation like that. Right. And these people, whether you're from Georgia or anywhere in the country, you can get this training at Lanier Technical College here in Georgia at the main campus. And some of it's even available online, some of the certificate stuff that you uh, have to complete and get through. And, uh, you know, you can be out there helping people uh, that are in very very dire straits. So check them out at LanierTech.edu. Go to the public service portion of the programs offered and uh, they've got that and so many other programs so what's cool about the programs at Lanier Technical College is 
you can put them in your back pocket. Mm-hmm. You can move to another state. You can move to another country. Right. And still use the skills that you learn at this at this technical college. Uh, just a, a great place to get started in life and, and get a career going for you. LanierTech.edu. Check them out. Today's guest on Bud's Garage Overdrive is a nationally recognized TV guy, car guy. And that would be Sam Madavi from uh, Sam's Garage. Sam, welcome into the Bud's Garage Overdrive, the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. All right. This is, uh, this is fun for me because we've got a lot of commonalities, a lot of ties. We're from different generations, obviously. Uh, well, it's not obvious to the folks out there, but it's obvious to you and me. We're from different generations. Uh, you could be my kid. <laughs> so we're, but we learned a lot from your generation. Yeah, well, yeah, and I learned a lot from mine, too. So it, 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 it goes a long ways. All the things we thought we knew back when we didn't even know what we didn't know. No kidding. No kidding. All right, tell us a little bit about Sam Madavi, how he got here. Um, you're not from here originally? Nope. I was born in Iran, mm-hmm. moved to uh, California when I was four years old during the hostage crisis of 1979. Wow. Yep, so my, my dad actually was an airline pilot for Iran Air. He flew the Shah. He was mm-hmm. one of the pilots for our Air Force One. And so we went through that whole debacle and went to California in 1979, and uh, we became Californians and lived life there. And thank God for it, you know. Where was the car culture at at that point in time? I know you're four years old, um, but what do you remember of it? What was the car culture low in California? Riders. It was lowriders. It was lowriders. Lowrider low pickup trucks. The 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 pullout CD players had just come out. It used to be tape decks. Right. Pull-out CD players had just come out. CD players were over $1,000. Mazda trucks, uh, Nissan pickup trucks, those hard-body trucks were the thing of, the, of those days when yeah. I was growing up. But then we were also into doing Hondas, Nissan Sentras about audio. It was mostly about audio in the 80s. We weren't really into performance. Right. Even in, through the 90s, when we moved to Georgia, we brought that love with us. And when we did our thing in the 90s, we never really added performance. You know, it was all about looking good, sounding good, and getting noticed in public. Right. We always did the parking lot cruises. In California, those were huge. Parking lot cruises. Literally, in one parking lot, you just do circles. So we did that in the 90s. I remember Stone Mountain Festival right next to the park. Mm-hmm. I went to Shiloh. So we would sit there in front of the movie theater in the arcade and just do circles. It was so much fun. I feel like I brought a little bit of California with me here. <laughs> So I'm I'm thinking back to the Beach Boys. That was before your time, right? <laughs> it was a little bit before. <laughs> a little bit before your time. All right. Now I was not involved with the Nopi stuff. All mm-hmm. right. And and explain what that was. That whole movement back then, because uh, we had a we had a guest in here to do a podcast. Uh, a young uh, man that does uh, ceramic coatings and stuff like that. Yep. And he, the minute I mentioned your name, he says. That's the guy. That's that's was tuning when tuning wasn't cool or something like that. Yeah. But you know you know what I'm saying. You, you you really put it on the map here in Georgia. We we were very fortunate. Um, Nopi was the import scene. Right. You know, Nopi started off here in Georgia as a Volkswagen bug. So what was that? North North uh, Number One Parts Incorporated. Okay, Number One Parts. Number One okay. Parts. It started in Forest Park. Okay. And uh, the dad had um, Mr. Myers had lots of uh, local outlets here and he would have a once a month local show at the parking lots at his show at his shops his shops were mainly for the volkswagen bugs mm-hmm. they would have hard parts for volkswagen bugs and all those older cars german cars then they got into accessories in the 90s because what happened in the 90s is the import scene started growing because of hondas and the toyotas and turbocharging and rx7s of the 80s and the conquests and the stereons from late 80s going into the 90s, changed motorsports forever. You know, a lot of people want V8 horsepower, but they didn't know anything about the V8. But a lot of the kids migrated towards the import cars because they were more affordable. And then so when you got those cars, you can tinker with them. There was a lot of information you could find. And so what happened in 99, Google opened, right? Mm -hmm. And so I opened also. And we were doing Honda swaps every day i mean in volume and luckily we were able to find just those few little wiring schematics that we needed to make things jive when we did the engine swaps and so what happened was nopi went from lakewood amphitheater and started growing with their nopi national show 
the Nopi Nationals was growing big to the point where we had, it was the biggest show in the country, if not the world, as far as the accessories, not the aftermarket like the Detroit Autos or the uh, Tokyo Auto Salon. Those are huge shows. But for the aftermarket enthusiasts who were into accessories, Nopi was probably the biggest, especially what happened with the Land Motor Speedway towards the mid-2000s. You got 45,000, 50,000 people. There was a party in the parking lot a car show and within the walls of Atlanta Motor Speedway. It was huge. So it was cool to see Nopi growing so big and the import scene grew so big. There wasn't that much love and money spent on cars in such class and high end that you see anywhere today. That, that, that era of people are gone. And so today people, you know, used to be, you would never zip tie your bumper on your car. You would never have anything showing that was a fastener. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You would never have messed up body parts because you want your stance to be a certain way. It was very classy, high end. A lot of people went broke playing that game, but Nopi was huge. Nopi was our muscle car era. You know, you guys had the 60s. Yeah, right. And we were very fortunate enough to have the 99 to 2008. That was our decade. It was huge. But it was also a very technical decade because we started seeing... So much technology that grew out of putting these turbo. What you're doing, what we have now, you know, the Ford Bronco is a four-cylinder with a turbo on it. Mm-hmm. That came from that era because we we learned, um, those of us who were a little bit older, you could make crazy power with these cars because they weren't, they didn't have long connecting rods. They didn't have huge pistons. They didn't, you know, like we had in our in our old muscle cars. You could really wind these things up and, and make power with them. So you went drag racing. Uh, with with some of these cars, tell us a little bit about what you were producing. You know, nine second cars. Well, the thing about the import the four cars, cylinder, you know, the domestic cars are very supported. Right. Right. The three are in this country. You can go anywhere and buy parts for them. Talk to people, get the gist, how to make it faster, adjust this, do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Nothing in the import world. We have to communicate with Japan and learn Japanese because everything was in writing was in Japanese. So to be able to make these cars fast, you had to be very technologically advanced. But back then, it was still all analog. We relied on Australia, who made all the standalones Mm -hmm. and all the components that we use today. And you're right. I feel as if we paved the road for a lot of the motorsports that you see today. In the import scene, we are the ones that made turbocharging so popular. It used to be blowers and nitrous and big inches on, on domestic cars. Then the imports started coming out and beating the domestic cars. Then NHRA added import racing to their series. Then NDRA came out because NHRA's rules were so strict that the grassroots guy who didn't have a million dollars could not go racing in NHRA. Mm -hmm. So NDRA came out with a more lenient rule book, and therefore you guys can go out and have some fun, and it was very competitive. I mean, we beat NHRA's import scene by far. Was was the end... The NDRA was at, what was that? That was the... Nopi Drag Racing Nopi Association. Nopi Drag Racing Association. Yeah. Okay, so it was all imports. It was all imports, and, uh, and, but, but you had the Chevy Cobalts, right? Okay. So you still had the front-wheel drive Chevy Cobalts because they were in the same class as the imports, so they were able to compete with them. Okay. And so yeah. Roush was building all their cars, and Roush at the time was building Rolls-Royce engines and using the technology and the engineering behind the 1920s and 30s airplane Rolls-Royce engines into their Cobalt Ecotech four-cylinders. Like, for instance, because I went to the uh, facility, I, I won the championship because I had a right-hand drive Supra that we were drag racing with. Right. I also built a CRX. It was a CRX with an NSX complete drivetrain in the trunk that I would take to show. I wanted to drag race it, but doing two cars, it was hard. Sure. And then we also did a Honda CRX front-wheel drive. Went the whole uh, series for drag racing four years in a row. So, you know, NDRA at that time when you were sitting there, the the cars in the import scene, they were, I mean, Roush was looking for scouts to come and try to gain more racers on their side. So after Norwalk, we won the championship. We went took a road uh, trip to Roush in Detroit, and we saw the Rolls-Royce engines, big V12 Rolls-Royce engines. They used U-bolts from the mains all the way up through the heads, and they would clamp the whole engine together with a U-bolt, okay? So Roush took that same design and incorporated a U-bolt in the Ecotec's four-cylinder engine so they could run 60 pounds of boost. Now, we're talking six-second quarter-mile runs in a four... 60 pounds of 60 boost? 60 pounds of boost. Oh, wait a minute. The, co- the Cobalt engines 
if I'm not mistaken, has the same engine as my Chevy HHR Bud's yes. Garage uh, yes. panel van. Yeah. So there's hope for it. And a front-wheel drive transmission, the same one that was in the Cadillacs that, that fail all the time. It was basically the hydromatic transmission front-wheel drive. And oh, those okay. things don't live on the street. But they were making them live six seconds all day, putting trans brakes in them. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was incredible. The technology that you saw come about during the NDRA and the NHRA import drag racing series is what has paved the road for all the self-learning fuel injection units today, okay? And all that stuff comes from Australia. They did a lot of, of the base technology and the grassroots standalones that we get to enjoy today. So you started with analog stuff. Mm-hmm. When did the digital transition start? When did, you Mid-2000s. know, who's making, those, who's making those boxes? So AEM okay. was the biggest one. Yeah. AEM, Haltech, and Motec. Mm-hmm. Okay, Motec has always been a racing That's right. fuel injection, very expensive, yeah. very hard to do. You've got to be special and have a lot of money. Haltech was a derivative of that, did a very good job, but it was DOS-based in the beginning. Right. So you had a graph, you have DOS, you know, it's old school, ancient stuff, but Haltech has come a long way now. Mm-hmm. AEM got started in the import scene in like 2000, 2001. I actually have the first AEM box that was made for an Acura NSX in my CRX. So... And Holly, believe it or not, Holly gave me because I was building domestic cars next to import cars. Because okay? yeah. I had I love VH two, so I had an eight hundred fifty horsepower Mustang, three fifty one board through three eighty three supercharged. Holly came up and said, "We made this new standalone. Can you test it for us?" So I put it on the Mustang, and it was a speed density back then. Even the domestics were mass airflow meter. Sure. Yeah. So you have to match the mass airflow meter size with the fuel injectors. And they had to jive. If they didn't, you wouldn't run right. And so to come out with Holly Commander 950 to be able to get rid of the mass airflow sensor, now you could put on a blow-off valve instead of a bypass valve. Yeah. That's why I was one of the first ones to have a blow-off valve. I put a, a gritty Japanese big giant blow-off valve on my Paxton supercharged Mustang because it was speed density. When you snap the throttle that blow-off valve would blow your head off. It was so much air flowing through it. Wow. So loud. It was so cool. Um, but that was, that's the thing is, is you get to learn from the domestic side, get to learn from the import side, make them together. You know, that's why we were blessfully successful. All right. So tell us about the shop. You and your brother had the shop. Yep. We started the shop in 99. And the reason being is because, you know, my wife and I were on our own in 1997, 98, and we were broke. And living by ourselves, and I had a clunker, 1984 or 85 uh, Jeep Cherokee with a 2.8-liter GM engine. That was a constant problem. Mm-hmm. So I had took it to a, the technician locally to fix it, and he needed an intake manifold, carburetor, all this stuff. Even put a hole in the scoop, all this stuff. No problem. So we did it, but the truck would never run right. So finally I had to exchange it for another car, a Nissan 240SX. That guy took me. Okay, so I'm like, Really upset. Gave back the 240SX, got me a Hondo Accord, and I'm driving down Killian Hill one day in Luber, and I see my Jeep driving the other way. And I'm like, man, that thing went past me pretty fast. I turn around, chase him down. I'm like, hey, that's my old truck. What'd you do to make it drive so good? Timing. Just moved the distributor. I'm like, man. You know, the shop that I took it to couldn't figure that out. I liked the Jeep. Right. I lost it because someone couldn't adjust timing on it. Yeah. And so I'm thinking to myself, man, that's it. You know, I like cars. I'm in, I was in college a year and a half. I didn't like it. And I went and got myself a set of wrenches. I went to Goodyear Estate Bridge. Me and my wife shared a car and I started changing oil. And then I told the guy, hey, I want to move up. So I said, we went to alignments. At, in that particular location, the alignment was the biggest step I could take. So then nobody was doing engine work because everybody wanted gravy jobs. Yeah, and, and, and I was, was kind of discouraged in the Goodyear because yeah. I worked at a Firestone service center. and. You know, they, they didn't jumps. want you building engines and right. stuff. They wanted you quick and, you know, get exactly. the quick stuff in and out. So I yeah. was that guy. I'm yeah. like, I want to do the engine. So I went to another location for Goodyear, and I did all their engine stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, got my feet wet. My brother and my father wanted to invest in the business. And uh, my brother, both of my older brothers, is what got me into the car, you know, scene. So we decided, to, let's open up Madavi Motorsports. We'll do repair and uh, performance. Well, the first... Up until 2001, when 9-11 happened, performance was going through the roof. Mm-hmm. Then it stopped because the stock market crashed. Right. So then, luckily, being the technician that I am, I mean, I was master 
three times master certified technician, so I was able to fix cars, unlike a lot of other shops where they did Toyotas, they did Nissans, they did Hondas. How did you learn this stuff? Self-taught, trial and error. Really? Yeah, but I had Sam Molo too, though. Yeah. So anytime I needed to call someone, I'd call Sam Molo and say, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? I'd watch Shade Tree Mechanic in the beginning years of, of Sam's uh, Madavi Motorsports. Learned a lot from TV. Oh, he was a pioneer. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with Sam. Well, Sam Molo, we met in 1998 when I was trying to fill my shop. We opened up in April. We bought the shop in fall. We had to renovate it, fill it up with inventory. Napa was having a tool show and a part show at the Land Motor Speedway. So I just happened to be there, and I saw Sam Molo. I'm like, hey. To my wife, I said, I'd like to go see him, talk to him. So I went and introduced myself, and uh, I told him I wanted to open up his shop, and he tried to talk me out of it. And he goes, but at least if you're going to do it, let me give you some advice on how to do it. So he gave me some advice, and I he took it to heart, and very glad that he took the moment to do that, right? And then so, like two years later, I built the CRX, and we were at the Children's of the Gathering show in uh, at the old... Dave and Buster's, where the incredible universe was, which is now on Amazon. Okay? Right. Yeah. So we had a show there. Dave Bowman and Sam Muller would just happen to be there. Okay. They were either doing something for the show. They were guests appearing or something. He came over and saw the CRX. And I saw him like, oh, Sam, remember me? Two years ago, we talked. And he says, oh, my God, I can't believe this. Look at this, the car and all this. He was very impressed. So we got hit it off again. And then we, we you know, he's very busy. So then 2004, Nopi Nationals, he comes by again. Um, Dan Woolley, Grease Lightning, was a good friend of mine, and Sam at the point was a spokesperson for Grease Lightning. We introduced each other. I told him I wanted to go racing. Dan Woolley gave me the opportunity by being the first sponsor for Sam Adavi. And so we went out with my right-hand drive Supra, 1,200 horsepower, won the championship the first year out. So Whoa, me and Sam... Wait a minute, 1,200 horsepower? Yeah. Tell us about the engine. Okay, so we have a two. <laughs> just kind of threw that number out there, and I thought, really, twelve hundred dollars. This is back in the day too. So, so we had a two JZ and a right hand drive. This was a right hand. I was the only right hand drive car mm-hmm. in the circuit, so it was pretty cool. Um, but we did forty six pounds of boost, two shots of nitrous. One was a direct port at one fifty shot. It would come on when you let go of the trans brake button. Um, it would come on to forty five or until boost hit a certain point. Then you shut off that nitrous because 46 pounds of boost is enough to carry you down the street. Then you have the window switch at the end for a second state of nitrous in case someone's pulling up next to you. That's going to be a fogger kit at the throttle body, roughly 75 to 150. Sure, yeah, just, just to give you a little, yeah, a little oomph, you know. Um, but Afterburner. The, yeah, but those things, man, without the nitrous, the, the motor would not spool up until eighth the mile. So think about that. If there's no nitrous, you hit the gas, you're, mm, you know, just slowly you're trying, to, you're trying to get to, you're trying to get it and wound up. eighth yeah. mile, man, it all pours on at once. You have a two RPM window you have to shift, and it's hold on for dear life. It's so much fun. That's why I'm telling you, man. Like, you know, you see drag racing sort of wanting to go away because they're killing drag racing facilities more so than they are killing yeah, it's road a shame. racing it's a shame. It is. People don't understand how fun drag racing is. We do it every day at stoplights. Come on. Think about doing it without any worry, without having to look over your shoulder, without, am I going to get caught? Right. Is there a cop? Yeah. When you don't worry about that, your foot is through the floor. You're trying to break through the floor, right? And it's so fun trying to keep that car in in its lane. Feeling all that adrenaline, the power being pushed back to your, and you're not stopping for a quarter mile. And that's 10 seconds, 12 seconds, 13 seconds of straight adrenaline, yeah. you know? And you can do it for a lot less money than you do road anything racing. Else. Anything, anything else. Anything else, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, drag racing is really fun. So, that's what we did. And so, you know, um, Dave McBride, which was Sam Molo's second co-host right. at, at mm-hmm. the radio show, unfortunately, right. was ill to cancer. And so Sam reached out to me uh, in 2010. We had done a couple episodes together on Two Guys Garage. He was retiring from that. Reached out to me and said, do you want to do a radio show? I'm like, I'd love to, you know. Um, This was right after, you know, the economy had tanked. So the racing had stopped in 2009. Actually, 2008, the racing had stopped. And so we did 11 years of Sam's Garage Live Radio together. It was so much fun. We still hang out together. We just had a car show two weeks ago together. That's cool. Yeah, so. So your, your car show, unlike ours, your car show, People would call in, and th- there were other car shows on the air, you know, uh, radio shows, where people would call in and, and not get made fun of, but maybe joke around and stuff about their car. You guys were serious. You guys had the had the computers up, and you had the all-tech, uh, all-data, was it? All-data, all data, yep. Yeah. I mean, 
you were you were trying to help people troubleshoot their car, and it was a three-hour show. So you can you can get pretty in depth. How how was your did the did did the audience you know if they were listening to a a problem with some guy's uh, GMC truck or something? All right, and the guy owned a Ford. Was he still listening because it, it could apply to his his situation? It could. You know, the thing about this industry is, especially with our listeners, they were in rural northern parts right. of the country. Mm-hmm. So the closest independent shopper dealership is 100 miles away. That's right. A lot of farmers. Yeah. And so they work on their own stuff a lot of times. And so, just like you said, if someone's listening to something going on about a diagnosis on their vehicle, it may relate to themselves, and they'll listen. In, in 11 years, and we never had anything wrong happen. Now, we did have two people screening calls before they ever hit air. Sure. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. But never did somebody was rude or out of line on air. Um, everybody was very cool. We'd have uh, 14 to 17 calls within a three-hour period. We got mm-hmm. pretty much everybody in. People would call back and tell us that we fixed the car and tell us if we didn't fix the car. So everybody was learning something. Sam would learn something. I would learn something. They would learn something. It was actually very cool. Everybody was cordial. So I was shocked because it was a national car show. Yeah. We'd have people call from Canada. We'd have them call from California. It was 9 a.m. in the morning. to be up at 6 o'clock. And so we were very lucky to not have had any issues or problems or people bickering or trying to make fun of other people due to a situation. We fixed a lot of cars. That's cool. Yeah. The the TV show now, mm-hmm. uh, Sam was a pioneer in this. Do, was, there, was there anybody else on the air that you could think of that was doing anything like Two Guys Garage back in the day? No. That was on TNT, I believe, or TBS? Uh, TNN. TNN, Sam's, okay. Sam Molo was the oldest um, on TV next to Dennis Gage. Okay? Okay. Dennis Gage, the mustache guy. Yeah, right, right, right. My, uh, chasing classic cars. No, no, my classic cars. My classic cars. He's been cars. doing those car shows for 20, 30, 31 years now. Okay? And Sam Molo started roughly 27 to 30 years ago doing Shade Tree Mechanic with Dave McBride teaching people how to diagnose and fix cars. Then as television evolved, the, the platform changed. So you're no longer going to be able to show people how to diagnose something. It's more like sell that something. It's no longer try to show them how to install that something, fix that something. It's how can we sell it. It's become more of an infomercial. So Sam Molo did a very good job all the way up until Two Guys Garage and then Motorhead Garage with Dave Bowman again. Right. Um, so then when he came to me, we wanted to change it up. We had this opportunity to where we can take Sam's Garage, and if you want to sell an item, let's sell the item by installing it and showing Absolutely. people how sure. to install yeah. and give them tips on how to do it. Mm-hmm. So that's what we did. And uh, first season, we did it together. We did a great job. He was wanting to retire, so we did a transitional year. Second season, we came over to Gwinnett County, and I, I started a studio in my shop. We did a transitional year together, and that was the first year that I introduced the Sam's Garage project car. Project car being, if you see most TV shows, they'll be half hour to an hour long. Most build shows are an hour long, and they'll build a car that takes two years in an hour. Sure. Right? Mm -hmm. And it's just unrealistic, and we all know that. What I do is I do a sequence of exactly how you would build a car. Right. A real deal sequence. Every week we can come by. One week we could do suspension. The next week we could do brakes, powertrain. And so it was a, a regular progression, and people would come back every week to tune in to see what we're going to be doing to that particular project car. That took off. So since season two, we've been doing a project car on every season, but at the same time giving tips and tricks on how to do that project car, what parts we're installing on it, and why. Right. Yeah. And, and it's all about the car. You know, so it's not about me or anything else. It's about the car and the content for the car and what we can teach you. And so Sam is very proud of me right now. I'm, I'm glad he was able to hand the torch off and me not just destroy it. Like, you know, I've taken it. We've tripled the numbers. Well, there's no drama. There's no there, drama. There's no drama. No it's, it's, it's You know, it's, it's, you, you can tell. The only, the, the thing I was wondering, when I was teaching at the technical college, we used to have different people come in that wanted to do commercials. One of them was Barry Grant at the time. And they wanted to film commercials in the shop because we had we had Indy cars, we had cup cars. We, and they'd bring some of their cars, we'd mix them in. But it took forever, forever to shoot a commercial. Mm-hmm. And I thought, how do you how do you get anything done when when you're when you're building the car. Yeah, exactly. Tell, thing tell is, a little, little bit about that process, just for the heck of it. Being that I ran a facility, seven bays, right. 
we did volumes of, of cars. So what I'm doing really is bringing Madavi Motorsports on air. So I've been through the management. I've been through how long it takes to do something. We're very familiar. So therefore, because you are familiar, you can set up the shot, mm -hmm. set up the scene by sequence of events of what you're going to be doing that day as far as mechanical work. No surprises. No surprises. Okay. And my luck is I have my mechanic, who's also my producer. He was, he's been working with me for 20 plus years. He was first turning wrenches. He's a retired Marine um, veteran. And so he was always into movie production. And so we, we split ways in 19, in 2017, we split ways. And then in 2020, 2019, I called him back and said, Hey, saying it's your opportunity to be a producer like you've always wanted. Since you know cars, it's easier for you in post-production to put the words with the parts. Sure. And it'll be a better mm -hmm. show. So he came on in season five and really escalated the show. And that's what take, took us into the top ten. Both shows, the low-car car show as well. He's a very good editor-producer, and he knows cars. And he's, we're very loyal to each other. So I can call him up anytime and say, saying, let's go shoot this. Let's shoot that. We'll need an hour. A lot of these guys, unfortunately, when they're working with the network, they have time restraints big time. So they have a window. And you know how things go, bud. You're building something. and you <laughs> Ask my wife. Yeah, there's no crystal ball. I'll be ball. in in 10 minutes, honey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> things go wrong. Two days later, you know. Yeah. And, and so when you're in a real deal production, that thing that goes wrong gets masked and then has to get fixed later. Right. Whereas we power through. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's going to take this long, come back this day, this day, because we have full control of the production. It's my production company. I have full control, so we schedule it whenever we want. Work weekends if we need to, work evenings if we need to, but we get the job done, and we get it done in a timely manner with no drama, and it gets, it gets up on the, on the network. And it's, it, it is entertaining. Thank you. Because it's, not, it, it's entertaining in a different way. Correct. Uh, you know, you have personalities on some of these other shows, and they build phenomenal cars. Mm -hmm. Uh, but nobody ever, one thing about a lot of the car shows is nobody ever mentions the actual money that it costs. Mm -hmm. And uh, do, you, do you try to incorporate that into what you're doing? Labor times and money. Okay. How long it takes something to, to occur. I'll even in, say, in real time. In real time. Yeah. Like I'll say, you know, we just did a differential on the yellow saline mm -hmm. called for 5.6 hours. Right. We knocked it out in two. Mm -hmm. And I, at the end of the segment, I said to the you know, audience, hey, kids out there, this is how you make money. This called for six hours. I did it in two hours. You're going to get paid six hours. And then you can go do another six-hour job in two hours, another six-hour job in two hours. You could rack it 18, 20 hours in a day, sure. eight-hour day. Yeah. That's how you make money as a, as a technician. Yeah. You can come out... You don't even have to go to school, right? <laughs> you can come out, and if you in, in a real good intern position at a good Goodyear, Firestone, independent shop where you can really mm -hmm. be hands-on for two years, after two years, you're making six figures. Whereas if you're going to college, two to four years, four to six years, you're coming out making 50, 60 grand. Unless you've got a real special career option that makes you more money because there is less of you out there. Just like there is less technicians that we need. I was right going to say, where have all the technicians gone? Right. So they got the power. And they're asking for the money, bud. They're getting the money per hour. For I mean, it's just it's it's uh, it's in their power to do a good job and continue to get that money. But I mean, like if you're a technician, well, what you're describing is flat rate. Yeah, flat rates. It, the it, old it, but days, it works both ways too. Flat yeah, rate. The hour it, it for sure works both ways. <laughs> yeah. That's why a lot of people don't like flat. Yeah, rate. they're afraid of it, and they're afraid of mm -hmm. the afraid of failure. I guess. Used to be, you would work hard, and you would get compensated for being a hard worker. Mm -hmm. Well, now, unfortunately, the incentive is to pay them to be a hard worker, and that's flat rate. Nobody wants to be on flat rate, but the the ethics, the work ethics, has changed. Used to come in, you'd, you'd bust your butt all day for your pay, no matter what the pay was, no matter what the job was. Now it's, you know what, I'm going to pick and choose what I want to do. I'm going to pick and choose what I want to get paid and this and that. And unfortunately, because there's a shortage, we're at their mercy, mm -hmm. you know, but it's not right. I, I always was hourly plus commission. And so you would always have an incentive to work hard Sure. in that manner, not a flat rate to where if you're standing there for 10 hours and you're on a slow day, you're upset. And yeah. that upsetness is going to linger on, and it's going to eventually cause a problem. So we're in a little tight spot right now when it comes tight, to little tight spot right now and pay. So you you talk about a lack of of enthusiasm for cars in general with with 
some of the new generation we're seeing. When you were a kid in California, you know, you, you grew up around your brothers and stuff. When when did the when did the bulb go off? When did you what car was it? What sound was it? What what my first memory. Everybody's got one that's yes. a, a mechanic. My brother had a Nissan Sentra, mm-hmm. and Run DMC's Dumb Girl was out. Mm-hmm. And he was all about stereo systems. Mm-hmm. Stereo systems attracted both the guys that were competing with you on sound right. and the girls who were looking for who's the loudest, who's yeah, the coolest. Right. Yeah, who's the coolest. And so that he had Dumb Girl in his Nissan Sentra, and he didn't have woofers. And, and I, was, I was nine, so I, I nine, ten years old. I knew what a woofer was, all that stuff. And it would it would bump really hard. I'm like, man, six by nines and two six and a halves, Serban Vegas. How does this, Bobby? How does this sound so good with no subwoofers? Everybody else has subwoofers, and you don't. And you know that's where quality, sound, a little bit of extra money came into play. And then my brother had a CRX, and he had the first CRX with a rack top with the buttons around it like they do in L.A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the reverse wheels and the chrome trim over the wheel wells. The one wiper arm, like the LMP cars we did back in 87, 86, he had a CRX. And so that was my inspiration. I mean, that was the biggest thing for me, you know. And we carried it all on all the way down. And, you know, Bud, you remember turning 16. If you turn 16... I don't often remember what I had for breakfast. But, but you yeah, remember I do remember going to get your 16. license. Yeah, yeah. You get your license. Oh, yeah. Now today, 22 years old, 23 years old, don't have a license, no, don't man, care. I was, I was chomping at the bit. Yeah, it's like, what's going on? You know, I was, I got, How do we get them interested again? Yeah. You know, how could you not be around these motorsports? You know, you know, maybe they all need to have a little field trip to SEMA. You know, if you were to take a group of kids... From certain schools, depending on the interests, and they show whatever. And you had a little field trip to SEMA. And SEMA doesn't allow kids. Are you volunteering? I'm just saying. That'd be, that'd be something cool. We get the magic bus when we take them to SEMA? Dude, when they go through SEMA and they see all those cars for the first time. Now, if you've been through SEMA ten times, it gets old. But the first time, it's like everybody's always in a candy. It's an adult candy store. Yeah. I mean, you can't get more than that. You, you, you go crazy with your senses. And I have never been to SEMA. Oh, really? Well, you need to go. You know, I never went to SEMA. I could go to one show a year with my budget that I had teaching. I always went to PRI, PRI. because PRI was more involved with what building and, and what I was doing and what we could afford. And it was quaint. Yeah. Everything was right there. Yeah, yeah. SEMA's kind of gotten, it's it's gotten huge. It's gotten huge. Now it's open to the public and stuff, too. So that, yeah. that. And you see kids there now. Yeah. Used to be you, but under eighteen, you weren't allowed. Now you see strollers, little little problem. But I think the kids. <laughs> I think strollers. All I can think of is Dis- Disney. You go Disney, to Disney yeah, and I know, right? stroller parking lots. Yeah, it's, it's 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 terrible. Well, this has been fun, but I want to get a little deeper. I want to get into the 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 new stuff. What mm-hmm. what you're doing now. Um, so c- can you come back and do a, a segment two? Absolutely, us? yes. This All sounds right, man. fun. This this has been fun. We will be back with part two next week uh, here at Bud's Garage Overdrive. So last week I had your recommended glass guy come and put the rear window in the Mustang Fastback I've been working on for okay. forever, forever and ever, it seems. Uh, the 73 where the glass is almost laying down flat. Mm-hmm. But it's mounted in rubber, so you got to have the you got to put it in with a with a rope. Right. And he had the special gizmo. I mean, you know, fifteen minutes he had it in. Yeah. And everything was cooking, and I had some some trim to put back on the window that I had gotten from year one, and it's good trim. But Bud had used brand new clips, and I did not understand the concept of trim clips. Uh, they need to fit looser than I had them on the car, mm-hmm. and uh, you have to you have to tweak them a little bit when you put right. them on. So that's what's called tuition when you're building a car. You you pay tuition one way or another. So I went to put the trim on, and I messed up the trim. Mm-hmm. So I called uh, year one. And I told them what I'd done. And I you know after they got done calling me a big dummy for not stretching the clips <laughs> out. But <laughs> after we got through that. Uh, I said, well, can you get me a couple more pieces of trim? He says, man, we're out of it. He says, we got some coming, but it's not here right this minute. But they found another supplier for me, and they got on the horn, and they said, here's somebody that does have it in stock because we know you're trying to get the car finished, as any of us nuts are that are building the car. When you get to this point, you're trying to get it done. And so many times I put that trim on and did the little slap. 
Right. And broke the glass. And that was my biggest concern, was breaking mm-hmm. the glass. But instead, I, I messed up the trim. Right. The and, trim is very fragile. Well, and you know what I found out? And, and like I say, all of this is a lesson learned, is every place there's a clip, they recommend that you take a piece of masking tape and let, remind yourself where the clip is. Mm-hmm. So you're not trying to push it on, to, or you're not hammering it down where there isn't a clip. Where there isn't a clip, And right. it'll bend the other part of the, mm-hmm. the trim. So, you know, that's the kind of things you learn as you go. But, uh, you know, the folks at the counter year one could probably have told me that if I had called them and asked them, how do you put this trim on? Right, but but you don't know no, what you don't, you don't know. know what you don't know. Yeah, you don't even know what to ask. And, and nobody's nobody's judgmental. They just say, hey, you know, Yeah. well, let's see if we can get you some more stuff, and next time don't be such a big dummy. Use a smaller hammer. Right, we all run into that from oh, time to time. Absolutely. And uh, folks at Year One will help you out. Check them out at yearone.com. You know, but there's just one more thing I want to check before we get out of here. Did you see the story about the Hertz Global Holding announcing that they're going to sell a third of its EV fleet to buy, wait for it, gasoline cars? Hmm. About 20,000 EVs. Yeah. You know what's kind of cool about this? I mean, you'll get a deal on an EV if that's what the, the way you want to go. Uh, but they have more than, uh, you know, they have hybrids. They have, um, they're selling these across a variety of brands. So it would be the Kia, the Chevy Bolt, Tesla's Model 3, and the Model uh, Y SUVs. Um, so, you know, it, it could be a good buy for somebody, but it can also bring out the points about why EV adoption is so hard. Mm-hmm. They found out they can't, they can't uh, rent them to people in cold climates. Right can't rent them necessarily to people in really hot climates for the same reason we've talked about a million times. Um, but Or even rainy climates. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, right. They don't do good submerged, so let's just put it that way. Uh, but the, the insurance cost and stuff on these cars, if they rent them to somebody, first of all, if they rent them to you, you've got to have chargers nearby. Sure. And if you get into a wreck with a Tesla, a friend of mine had somebody back into his and they had to put a whole side on the car. That's because that's how the car is built. You can't take it to your standard collision shop. You've got to go to a Tesla repair station. And, he, you know, he had, a, he had a nice car, but it had what I would call minor damage, $40,000 yeah. to fix it. Well, you know, when you've got a car company that's renting out cars, Lord knows what some of us do to, uh, to rental cars. And mm-hmm. uh, it, would, it would just seem to get worse and worse. But you bring up a very good point. What really cracks me up about this is Hertz is saying that the company is expecting to reinvest a portion of the proceeds of these EV sales into purchasing internal combustion engines. Yeah. Or hybrids, I would think. That can't make the president very happy. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think that's their goal. Anyway, I would like to thank the following people. DJ Bill for uh, bringing that to my attention. Go ahead and tell us about your DJing, please. Thanks, Bud. Well, we do uh, DJ trivia right around, all across the country, even in Hawaii. We have affiliates there. So wherever you happen to be, log on to djtrivia.com and uh, type in your zip code. You'll find a game near you. Uh, I produce the games. I write a bunch of the questions. And if you happen to be wanting to play in the North Georgia listening area, you just may find me hosting one of those games. So we hope to see you soon at djtrivia.com. Yes. And uh, you do a great job at it, and people have good time, and you know, you. That, yes. that's what it's all about. I want to thank Jacobs Media for the uh, for the studios, the the sound quality that we have, uh, aside from the hosts, uh, every week, and it, it's a pleasure to work with them. Uh, if you want to listen to Bud's Garage, the radio station, which also comes out of WDUN, you can do that on terrestrial radio at AM 550 and FM 102.9. Uh, they have a uh, app here called Access WDUN, so you can listen to all the stuff on your phone. Mm-hmm. And uh, want to thank Concept One Pulley Systems, great people that make uh, custom pulley systems for hot rod engines. Uh, want to thank Who Year One. Oh, year One. Yeah, Concept One, Year One. Got to get those straight. Year One, the muscle car restoration folks, you know, they are restoring American performance here in Cornelia, Georgia, but they're worldwide. Great, great places to get stuff for your muscle car. And Lanier Technical College. Uh, you know, learn a career. Don't just sit in classes for four years and try to figure out what you're going to do when you, when you get loose of the place. Go somewhere where you can earn a skill, learn a skill, and earn a living is where I'm going with that. 
So check them out at LanierTech.edu. All right. Anything else you got for me? I think that's it. That's it. All right. Well, I want to thank Tim. For not being here? Well, not for not being here. I want to thank Tim DePasquale, our usual co-hosts on the radio show and the podcast. We have to mix it up sometimes with the podcast guests, you know, based on our schedules of trying to get four or five people together all one time. But uh, anyway, I want to thank Tim. He does a great job. And if you're ever in need of upholstery in the southeast, Tim's Auto Upholstery in Duluth, Georgia, will, will hook you up. And they'll keep you in stitches. Stitches, yeah, absolutely. So, and how about I thank our guest, Sam Madavi from Motor Trend Sam's Garage. He's going to be with us again next week for part two of, a, of an interview. And, uh, you know, he does a great job on Motor Trend Magazine Television and the Low Car Car Show uh, show that he does. So, Sam, uh, thanks for dropping by and doing that with us. Okay. In the meantime, keep Between the Ditches, Shiny Side Up. We will see you next week right here on Bud's Garage Overdrive at your favorite podcast site to check out this and Bud's Garage. Have a great week.